the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. <clears throat> Got a frog in my throat. <laughs> Uh, like the man said, this is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Um, also, you can catch this show on my website, bullingcapital.com. So if you want to go listen to a podcast there, it's available. And you can get it through uh, the Fish's website, 955thefish.com. So uh, if you missed it and you have a question, you can always call me. And my number is 330 664 700 Three three zero six six four zero seven hundred. That's my office number. We are available uh, most of the time. Actually, last few weeks in particular, I've had that phone number being forwarded to my cell phone so that I don't miss anything in case something's important. I know people are very nervous, um, rightly so. It was a big drop that occurred incredibly quickly, and. Uh, you know, prices of, if I'm looking at them, they're actually back to where they were in the stock market in 2018. So it kind of wiped out some gains there. Uh, but that's not all that uncommon. The, uh, it's not all that uncommon if you look back through long time periods. Stocks go up and down. They go sideways for a long time sometimes. I mean, like a really long time. And I've always known that. Uh, and I've, tried to talk about it over the past 30 years or so, and it's pretty funny. I, I've had a few of my clients call me just within the last few weeks talking about how they it, it didn't make sense to them until recently. And I'm just going, wow. <laughs> well, better late than never. But, yeah, this is what I was talking about. It's very, very difficult to be prosperous in the stock market for the va- for the average person out there. And in fact, there are studies after studies after studies that show how inevitably the emotions take over uh, and they make a couple bad moves. And then it's really difficult to make that money back, the money that they've lost, either losses that they've locked in or potential gains that they missed. And see, that's, that's the whole thing. About, all of investment management is really about managing your risk. That's really what it's about. It's managing your risk. And the vast majority of people, when I say that, will say, oh, well, that means you know how to jump in and jump out at the exact right times, right? Because you're a professional and you should know how to do that. Uh, No, that would be a professional magician. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm a professional investment advisor. And we know better than to try to do that. Now, there were some things that, you know, 10, 15 years ago uh, actually had pretty decent performance where you would increase and decrease your exposure to stocks at certain times. Those things have stopped working. And I'm pretty sure it's because you have so many exchange-traded funds being run by computers out there now. It's just deteriorated it. You wouldn't have lost much money, but you wouldn't have made any money. And that that's, you know, that's the name of the game. We're there to, in the long run to be profitable. So that's what we're kind of going to be talking about today. Some, some basic tactics that you can use to improve your performance. And it, you know, it's very important. Um, again, the number one mistake the average investor makes is thinking or believing that you're going to know exactly what the market's going to do over the next six, nine, 12 months. And it's amazing to me after all these years that some people that have, you know, the good clients, nice people. And by the way, when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about one specific person. I'm talking about a couple dozen and it's not the same couple dozen. It's really strange how these ideas tend to permeate and then spread but not at the the same time, you know, kind of like this virus. Yeah, but at some point in time, they get to the feeling that I'm somehow going to magically know what's going to happen in the next six months. Sorry, you know, that's just never going to happen. And uh, I, I have a pretty good idea what I think is going to happen in the next 10 years. Okay, I have a really good idea there. You know why? Because when you look at all the statistics... The numbers for 10 years from now, the predictions that you can make tend to work out pretty good. It holds closer to the long-term average about 70% of the time, 7 out of 10. Those are really good numbers. That's a high probability. Whether it's going to do that in less than five years is 30% of the time. That's a bad number. (laughs) That means your chances are only one in three. You'd be better off flipping a quarter. Most people would. I am not recommending that you do that. <laughs> Don't flip quarters when it comes to your investing. Get with some uh, good, decent strategies. If they don't make sense to you, you know what? You shouldn't walk away from those. You should just turn around and run. And having said that, you know, I know I, I do know of some very sophisticated investment strategies that, that tend to work well over time. Okay, But... Yeah, they're so sophisticated and there's so much work. You'd have to quit your day job and do this full time for a living. So unless you got a couple million bucks, it's not going to be worth it for you. The return that you get is not going to warrant the amount of time it's going to take to generate that return. Here's another thing I'd like to talk about. I, I have people talking to me recently about these buffered products. I know what they're talking about. It's it, it's a hedging technique that you're going to, minimize the risk but when you do it with the buffer okay you're also going to minimize or maximize rather your gains and the gains are not that large here's the big problem with this if the gains are not that large how are you going to make your money back if the maximum loss you can take let, let's say i don't know i should have done the math on this um maximum loss you can take is 20 percent that's the maximum or maximum loss is 15%. I'm 
I know a lot of people want to say my maximum loss is going to be zero. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, you're going to make no money. And I can guarantee that you won't lose any money. But I, I can also guarantee you won't make enough to live on. If your returns are higher than 2%, that is going to be a miracle. It'll literally, literally be a miracle because of the way things are today. Now, five, 10 years ago, I could have said, yeah, you could probably get three, 4% a year as an average return. Like some years you'll, you'll average, you'll get nine or 10% in a really good year. A couple of years ago, we had the market run way up and all those products that kind of hedge like that. They were, oh, they're up 9% this year. Great. The market was up 32. Okay. You got nine. Market got 32. <laughs> now, you haven't made any money since then, but you haven't lost any money. And so you can feel good about that. By the way, when I looked at, when I was talking about the price of the S&P being where it was two years ago, that's not counting the dividend. So with the dividend, you would have beaten the average hedged portfolio, including the vast majority of the market, of the indexed annuities. You'd have beaten it. Okay. And, uh, the, but the price you would have paid would have been the volatility that you got. Now, in the long run, I think you're going to beat it a lot more. But I'm going to try to uh, dig myself out of the weeds <laughs> and just say sim- simply, the thing that's going to have the biggest impact on your returns is how much money do you have invested in stocks? I'm assuming you're investing in stock funds or or baskets of stocks portfolios. Not one stock. That's insane. That's literally insane. Yeah, you have all your money in one stock. I mean, unless you're unless you're Jeffrey Bezos, you know, the guy that owns Amazon. Uh, by the way, he's cashed a lot of that stock in, and he's got a whole bunch of money at the Treasury. You know, getting one percent interest, so he can afford to do that. That's what happens when you're worth billions upon billions. One percent's a pretty good return. (laughs) So, uh, but for the rest of us, we need to be very cognizant, very careful uh, about that balance. How much do you have in stocks versus bonds, and how much are you holding in cash? The uh, people that go to college for four years and then come out and get uh, several designations other than that, they like to call that Asset allocation. That's what they call asset allocation. What they're talking about is how much money do you have in stocks, bonds, and cash? What percentages? The, the average percentage across the country is actually about a 60-40. 60% stock, 40% bonds, which I think is pretty good, actually. Um, now, if you had a, a market correction like you did in 2008 and 2009 or we didn't actually we didn't get nearly as low in this last correction as we as we did in 2008 and 2009 it would actually have to go down about two-thirds more than the bottom that we saw about a month ago that would be spooky <laughs> it was spooky then it's always spooky but the bottom line is markets come back markets rebound when you understand uh, how we we have the ability to make adjustments to cause that to happen, things like these loans that the uh, government's doing first time in the history of the world. And my question is why did you take it why did it take you this long <laughs> to get there? Would have fixed the problems, but they didn't have the experience. see that that's the thing. Experience is a great teacher, and I'm very appreciative when it's someone else's experience that I get to learn from. 
that's that's how I would love to learn everything. Unfortunately, <laughs> life's not like that, and you have to learn a lot of these things yourself. Many people like me, you know, learn a lot of things the hard way. So the trick, though, is like let's say you have an average stock fund portfolio. You got large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, emerging market. You got every category covered. Okay. And you're 60, 40. 40% is going to be in bonds. And you're not going to try to get fancy. You're just going to try to kind of mimic what the bond market does. 60, 40, you get a 50% drop in stocks like you did in 2008 and 2009. It actually started in November 2007 for the large caps. The small mid cap and emerging market started in, in March and April of 2007. Uh, those things were in a down a three year spiral, so that's another thing that kills me. You know, every time you hear the quotes about the risk on the market, they're always quoting in one year increments. I'm like, uh, yeah, that was three years in a row. <laughs> I have angst. <laughs> the, the angst is actually it's it's not against the public; it's the people who are supposedly trying to help the public. You know, they just leave stuff like that out. I can't do that because that's one of the reasons people are doing so poorly, you knuckleheads. You're giving them false hope. And then when the reality sets in, they panic. I can't believe you don't understand it. Actually, I do believe you understand it. And I think you're doing it intentionally. That's what I think. Because you think that people wouldn't invest if they knew the truth. That's what you think. That's what our whole academic system in finance is based on. A big pack of baloney. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they gave some guy a couple billion dollars for that. He got, they gave him a Nobel Prize, too. Unbelievable. And, of course, they, uh, they massaged it. Mathematically, what they're talking about is correct, but it's just not how the word, world works. The world is not mathematical. It's kind of mathematical. And when the math breaks down, you know, all you know what breaks loose. <laughs> so that's what I want to prepare for. I want to, hey, look, if I go through one of those periods, one of those really bad periods, one of those periods that mathematically is not supposed to happen more than once in a 100 years, that's where that 100-year event phrase you hear bannered about comes from. Wrong. (laughs) If it's only going to happen once every 100 years, why did it happen twice in 10 years? How does that happen? Do you know what the chances of that happening are? About as good as me winning the lottery. Actually, the, my chances of winning the lottery might be better, depending on which game I'm playing <laughs> and how often I play. But the, uh, the bottom line is, you're, I think you need to know that stuff. You need to prepare for that stuff. And here's one of the easy ways to do it, by the way. Let's say you're close to retirement. You don't think you could stand to see a 50% drop. No problem. Don't put 100% of your money in stocks. Avoid that problem. Try to decide on the amount that you would be willing to sit through because you know you can't make a whole lot of money in, in CDs or bonds right now. They're not paying enough interest. So you're going to have to put some of your money in stocks. How much would you be willing to sit through? How much would you be willing, willing to watch your portfolio drop by in an effort to try to earn a decent return so you can retire one day? Okay. How much would you do that? Is it 15%? great. 15% is 50% of what? It's a half of 30. 
So you'd put 30% of your money. Now, I'm going to tell you, you won't make a lot of money only having 30% of your money in stocks. But if that's all your risk uh, appetite is, you got to stop there because otherwise you're going to get inside and you're going to panic. You know what you're going to do? You're going to try to predict what's going to happen next, and, and that's not going to turn out good. Predicting that stuff is almost impossible. I got a uh, quick phone call I got to take here um, right before commercial break. And you can call us at 330-664-0700 if you, oh, no, that was my office number. Sorry about that. 216-901-0945. You can use that other number too. But hey, John, how are you doing? Good morning, Bill. I'm just going to say an internal optimist. I can almost guess Chinese are buying our treasury, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, after all, they know what the Rock of Gibraltar means. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, I hate to say this, at my age, I'm lucky I'm not in a wheelchair in a nursing home sedated with no visitors. <laughs> yeah. That having said, right. it's sad when I see deja vu all over again. Right. And I'm not an indirect to all the financial industry, but I knew right from the beginning, 98 yards foul. No, 90 yards bumbling. That's not an American expression either. Bumbling, maybe. It's sad what they did at the last minute. When they used my money and your money and everybody else's money... So-called bipartisan. Everything is so-called these days. You know, even capitalism is so-called. So they doled out the people who already had a line of credit. And the people at the payday lending people at their parking lot, they're waiting. Yeah. It's sad. I don't know how they can go to sleep. Of course, confession is good for the soul. <laughs> but the soul is S-O-L-E. That's the shoes. They're kicking us with the soul. It's sad. You can see I'm so passionate because I'm the yeah. biggest supporter of capitalism. You know me for too long. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's sad what they've done to this. Well, and, you see, they could have had the credit unions working there, community banks. Yeah. And 2005, they got away with it. Normally, you hey, bail out people after they go to jail. Hey, John, Here, gotta, the other way around. I got to take a real quick commercial break. But uh, Thanks for your call, and I hope you have a good Sunday. And uh, you're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420 The Answers. Stay tuned. I say amen, and it's still raining. As the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain. I've been asleep, head in the sand. And we're back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Feel free to give us a call. 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. And the, uh, and we're just talking about how to get your arms around the risk that you're taking. That, that's kind of the key. That, that's going to determine how well you do in the stock market. And I'm going to give you a little, uh, uh, a few tips. These are free. And, uh, everybody likes something free, right? So, and this is actually really good advice. This is the same stuff that I do for myself and my clients. So giving up the fact that you won't be able to see and forecast the future. Okay. We're going to, I'm going to give that thought up. I can't forecast the future with a high degree of accuracy, at least not high enough, you know, over the next one or two years to be consistently profitable. I know every time I say that, somebody's going to show me, well, if you'd have just done this, that's called curve fitting, by the way. Go look that up if you don't understand it. Yeah, it doesn't work. Um, so giving up, <laughs> back to where, giving up, it's, that's not the end of the world. 
It's not. In fact, the fact that stocks fluctuate as much as they do gives you an opportunity to take advantage of that without having to know what's going to happen next. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to know. What a relief. Because the chances of you being right, by the way, are uh, not real high. So with this, you don't have to know. You can relax. What, what you do need to know is that in the long run, stocks have a tendency to outpace inflation by more than any other asset class. At least they have over the past couple, uh, past hundred years or so. Actually, past couple hundred, if you all go all the way back to the uh, 1700s in Amsterdam, where they set up, I think that was where the first stock exchange was. And by the way, we didn't invent that. The, uh, I believe it was, uh, I can't remember who it was. It was, uh, but it wasn't English. <laughs> And it wasn't American, but it was, uh, we, we borrowed that concept. And anyway, so here's, here's the simple method. Pick your number. Like, let's say, all right, I, I think, Billy, I've heard what you said. I put 40% of my money in bonds. I'm not going to make very much money on that. So I've got 60% of my money in stocks. And if 60% goes down 30%, I can handle that, but I probably wouldn't want to be down a whole lot more than that, you know. That's that's getting right near my, my breaking point. Great. Now we're going to take that 60%, figure out, do you want to be an aggressive investor with that money in the stock market? Do you want to go a little bit more towards a, a growth or would you bet, rather be more dividend-oriented? And we've got models for each one of those. But we're going to stop that at 60%. Why? Because all those things go down in a pandemic. All those things go down when you have your banking system melting down like we did in 2007, 2008. Most of those things went down in 2000. A lot of them didn't. But 1987, almost everything went down. 20% in one day. One day. <laughs> I remember that day well. Anyway, so if your peak to trough decline is 50%, and even if it takes a couple of years, okay, if you only had 60% of your money invested and it's down by 50%, you're only down 30. I know a lot of people, that's still hard to take. I get it. It is. But today, if you're going to make any money, you're probably going to have to be willing to be down around that much to be able to earn a decent return because the bond portion, the 40%, you're going to be lucky to make 1% on that. Think about that for a second. 1% of 40% is what? It's 0.4%. That's what you get on your total. It's not there for the return. It's there so you don't see your whole portfolio drop by 50%. That's what it's there for. So here's where this becomes really important. Let's say you're you're taking money out and you're, you're drawing 4% out a year. You're taking 4% to supplement your retirement income. And the market drops and your portfolio is down by 30%. Well, that's okay. Because you're not selling those stocks, you're actually taking money out of the fixed income account. Now, the the common term for what I'm descri- describing here is the bucket method of withdrawing money. They like to somebody got smart and decided to try to break it down, and make it simpler. So you've got the fixed income bucket; those are bonds, CDs, and cash. Then you have stocks. So if your stocks are down a lot, you don't want to be selling them when they're down, right? You're going to take the money from the short-term bonds 
And if you have enough money in those short-term bonds, we typically will have carry roughly five years' worth of withdrawals in super short-term bonds. Why? Well, because they're earning something, and they don't fluctuate nearly as much as the stock market. In fact, the fluctuation is very small. And uh, um, unless, by the way, something's happening inside the market, and you got to be careful of that. So you can't just do that blindly either, <laughs> but you do want to be careful with it. So you want to make sure a lot of your money's, you know, basically just short-term treasuries. There's some funds out there that invest in that. And there's some a couple funds that uh, actually they created ETFs to mimic the funds. The funds have been around for so long because they've, they've done a, such a good job that they decided to create ETFs to mic, mimic that. And uh, I'm just going to pull one of those up right now. Yeah, actually, those all went down pretty significantly, about uh, 10% or so, but they've bounced back. So that's the thing. There was a dislocation. That's how you know that this was a really bad panic, by the way, because the super safe categories went down 10% or more. That happened in 2008, too. That did not happen in 2000. That did not happen in 1987. So uh, as more computers have gotten involved, they've had an impact on everything. Everything's more volatile now than it used to be. Everything, including short-term government bonds. That is mind-boggling. You see what happened to the price of oil lately? Price of oil, uh, the futures price went negative. They're going to pay you to take the oil off their hands. They're going to give you the oil and then pay. <laughs> They're not going to do that, by the way. That was a futures contract. That wasn't the actual spot price. And yeah, I'll, have, I'll put that conversation off to a future show when we got an entire hour to talk about just that. But bottom line is, if you have stuff that's that's relatively safe, okay, should be back to where it was right before the market collapsed. And that's where you want to be taking your money from you want to take your money out of the safe stuff and you want to generally have about around five years worth of withdrawals five years worth of withdrawals why well because most corrections the the vast majority of corrections have not lasted for five years and if you've got a minimum of five years and something relatively short term that has time to recover now let's say you're that 40 percent uh let's say you're going to take out five percent a year that's 25 percent that gives you another another 15%, by the way, in fixed income, just in case. So if you had to wait, you've got, first of all, you got the first five years, five times four is 20. And since you've got, you've got 40%, or let's say 35%, that gives you another three years before you have to worry about having to sell your stock. So they have time to recover. Now you can't guarantee that they're going to recover. We're not allowed to do that. But all other things being equal, that's your best choice right now. I think that's definitely your best choice. Somewhere around a 65-35 or a 60-40 split between stocks and bonds and cash. You know, I include the cash in that mix, by the way. It's part of the bond uh, component. So the, how easy is that? Pick out your number. Say, I don't want to be down more than 30%. Okay. Two times 30 is 60. Don't put more than 60% of your money in stocks. Voila! Four-year degree in finance. Two minutes. <laughs> Just kidding. But the uh, but that works really well. I mean, it works really well. And you typically, over time, 
you you would have done very well sticking to that philosophy. And uh, I know it sounds kind of simple, which is why I really like it, because it is. It, it's super simple. It's a lot more realistic. And I see a lot of the asset allocation models coming up, and they're showing looking at a portfolio and saying, oh, the uh, potential risk there is 16%. What they really mean is the standard deviation is 16%. I know what that is. Yeah, most people don't. And it is mathematically, it's accurate. The problem is the market doesn't know that it's supposed to behave mathematically. You get three years in a row or you get the, they call them black swans. You get something that happens that's not supposed to happen or it's only supposed to happen once in a great while. By the way, there are funds that try to take advantage of those black swans because the fund knows that it has a tendency to happen more frequently than the math would have you believe. Literally, and I know a lot of people probably heard uh, Naked Talib, I can't remember his name now, the, uh, Guy's a mathematician and a money manager, and his fund was called the Black um, Black Swan. That's what his strategy was called too. And he's going and, and making these bets that this really um, small percentage probability event occurs more frequently than people think it does. And just recently, uh, there was a fund that was up from its inception. It was up about two hundred and forty percent, I think. So if you started with this fund about five years ago, I believe it was the, uh, you can't quote me on this stuff because I'm trying to pull this out of my memory and I read an unbelievable amount of stuff. So, but the fund was up somewhere around 240% from inception, but it was up uh, 4,000% this year. Let me, I know everybody's trying to figure out which fund that is right now. Don't bother. The fund's four or five years old and it's only up 239% and it was up 4,000% this year. Let me tell you something. The first four years on that fund were horrible. The fund barely stayed in business. It was down over 90%, <laughs> right around 90% or so. So, yeah, if you can take that kind of volatility, you might want to put some money in that fund. I wouldn't put a lot of money in there. If uh, you were thinking of going out to Vegas and, and now you can't go because it's all shut down, you could put some money in that fund instead. Yeah, I'm not, I don't believe in gambling. I don't gamble at all, which surprises people. They say, you're in the stock market. That's one of the biggest gambling. No, it's not. It's not gambling when you do what I'm doing. What the average person does, yeah, that's gambling. As a gambling, my definition of gambling is when you don't know how to calculate the odds, but you play the game anyway. When you don't know whether there's a potential for a positive outcome or what that potential is and you play anyway, that's gambling. I don't think you should be doing that at all. I think you have to take calculated risk. I think you have to figure out, try to figure out to the best of your ability how much risk you're taking and then try to manage that risk. And that's really what I'm talking about. And I'm breaking it down into super simple terms. Take the amount of decline you think you can withstand. Now remember, the bigger of decline the potential for more money that you make. Keep that in mind. But let's be realistic. You know, if the stock portion of your portfolio averages eight to ten percent over the next twenty years, okay, but you only got half your money in there, and then your return on that's going to be four or five percent. Don't let that make you feel bad, because that's what people do. They look at the stock portion and they compare their portfolio to it. That's the worst thing you can do unless you're all stock. And almost nobody 
is all stock. That's actually probably the number one mistake I see people make when they come into my office. They compare their portfolio against the the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S&P 500. Well, I should have done that well. You've got 40% of your money in bonds. You'll never do that well. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to It's impossible. <laughs> I feel like Jerry Seinfeld. It's impossible. <laughs> I understand his frustration. I know where that voice came from. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so... But just because you can't get, you can't beat the stock market without taking a whole lot more risk doesn't mean that you shouldn't have some of your money in stocks. That's crazy. That is not good. You have to have some of your money in stocks today if you want to make a, a decent return. And a decent return is relatively small. You know, and you know what actually kills me? I empathize with everybody on this. I am subject to the same rules you are. My portfolio is fluctuating just like yours is. Probably more because I'm willing to take on a lot more risk. Why? Because I'm comfortable with it. I have confidence. You know, all this stuff that's happening with the pandemic, that's going to create a, It's first of all, it's bottling up the demand. The demand has not gone away. We still have 330 million people here who have to wash their clothes, eat food, brush their teeth, drive cars, live in housing. That's not changed at all. And the bottled up spending, you want to talk about <laughs> once it starts to come back, and it could be, it's probably not going to be V-shaped, but it'll be a U. And the quicker we get back to life as, uh, life as normal, the closer it will resemble a V rather than a U. So... But all that stuff is coming back. It's all coming back. It's going nowhere. You would have to have, this would have to wipe out, you know, 10, 20% of the world population to justify the amount that financial markets have gone down by. That ain't going to hit. That's just not happening. So, you know, forget the news. Quit listening to these guys. Now, the vast majority of them have no idea what they're talking about, but they are very good at manipulating you for your attention. They're very good at manipulating people for their attention. That's how they get paid, by the way. I'd, I'd hate to be a journalist today. I would hate it. You're, I know they don't want to be writing that stuff. I know they don't want to. Some people probably like, enjoy it, but the uh, the vast majority of people, you know, they feel bad. I got to scare everybody to get their attention. So anyway, I hear the music starting to start up. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. I'll be back after these messages. Stay positive because we'll be right back with some good news. It all used to seem so clear I'm finding I can't do this on my own I don't know where to go from here As long as I know that you are near I'm done fighting I'm finally letting go
I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. And I really appreciate you guys calling in and some of the emails I've gotten. Uh, just want to say thanks for that. The uh, I'm, I try to keep the uh, uh, mood positive. I, I really am a big believer that it's really, really tough to hold this country back. And what's what's encouraging to me is is that how many countries around the world now have actually started to use a lot of the same techniques that we used to get this far uh, in our economies and with our industries. So why? Well, it just means that we're going to advance, you know, that much quicker. And I'm really surprised by the number of companies who are putting aside, you know, who's going to get the patents on the new drugs. And they're working together to try to develop this, and they will share. They're sharing their research. That's awesome, and this this has brought people, businesses, and countries together like nothing ever has. And it's unbelievable the cooperation that's been going on. So that's that's a great thing. And again, you got to remember when this is over. It's not if it's over. It's when it's over. All the demand, you know, people are going to want to go back to their former lifestyles. Now, I like going to the movies, despite the fact I have a 70-inch TV. You know, the uh, I still would rather go to a movie theater to see a movie. Why? Because when I'm there, the, the screen is all you can think about. You know, it's there. It's kind of like a meditation. <laughs> a meditation with action, except that my mind doesn't have to prepare. It doesn't have to provide all the entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's going to come back. Yeah. Will things be impacted? Yeah. But you know what? A lot of these things that, that would have changed, we're going to change anyway. And this has just kind of sped up that process quite a bit. You know, all the uh, equipment required to have doctors visiting patients in their homes, you can bet that those companies are working overtime. Uh, the medical equipment that's required, the extra space in hospitals, the number of people that are going to have to be trained to, to be able to work a respirator, you know, that's a great thing. And by the way, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago. You can go and get a, uh, an associate's degree in less than two years. And those jobs, uh, nationwide, the, the average starting salary is around 50 grand. That's pretty good for a starting salary with a two year degree. That's really good. So, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that's going to come out of this. And uh, it's just making it through the next few months. Um, nobody ever knows exactly you know, how long that's going to take. It, it's impossible to know this stuff because it's never happened before. I say that's, that's why, I, I guess for a lot of people, it's really frustrating. They think that someone should know the answers. Well, it's incredibly difficult to know the answers to problems that have never existed before. You know, it really is. And if you have a, if you have a lot of trouble understanding that, I, I don't know. Yeah, you must be really young um, because that it's just tough. Or you're one of those guys carrying a gun standing outside of a... <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the uh, um, I can't believe that uh, people were so upset they were uh, uh, doing that kind of stuff. But anyway, especially if they would listen to my show, because I'm going to tell you, it's going to be okay. We... Wi- there's no doubt in my mind 
that we be, that we beat this. And again, you know, I, I hate to see economic growth that happens because of this, but this is actually going to cause economic growth. You're going to have to have more people trained. Hospitals are going to have to have more capacity. This is probably not the last time you, that you see a virus mutate. COVID is a form of a, of a pre-existing virus. It's not going to be the last time. It's not the first time it's happened. So, but as we go forward, there will be a lot more people ready. Uh, the preparedness is going to pick up. And I think that's a really good thing. I was going to talk a little bit about uh, individual stocks. Um, you know, I, I always look at scans and I like to see which companies are, are doing well right now, particularly, particularly in this environment. And, uh, um, so what I'm looking at are the stocks that have gone up the most over the last 90 days and uh, who have had an increase in volume today and the share prices closed within 25% of the day's high. Um, all that means is that the stock is under accumulation. That's it. And I'll come back to that in just a second because I'm going to take a phone call. And if you'd like to call us, we've only got about 10 minutes left. It's 216-901-0945. Right now I'm going to go to John. John, you're on the Bullington Capital Report. Hey, Bill. Thank you very much. Uh, great shows. I've been listening now uh, for several weeks. I'll try and get to it real quick. Um, I hope I'm going to be more lucky than stupid moving forward, but I think I've got about 80-90% of my funds that I rolled over from a company 401k okay. into a rollover IRA, and now I've taken hopefully taken advantage of the down market and invested about 80-90% into stocks like entertainment and energy that from what my, I've been tracking for the last one to three years, they're down anywhere from 60 to 80%. Is that too risky, you think? Uh, are you in individual stocks? I am, yeah, I'm in a lot of individual stocks, but I have about, I take that back, I have about 25% in some um, some funds, right. um, in, in various funds, so. Well, you, you sound pretty young. Uh, how old are you? 52. Oh, okay. The, uh, well, your voice is uh, misleading. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The, uh, um, oh, man, it's a lot of money to have in individual stocks. I'm, uh, I'm working on some um, uh, videos that I'd like to put up. The average stock in the New York Stock Exchange, which is com- considered the premier stock exchange of the world, highest quality, is 50% a year. And that's that's in a normal year, so okay. at fifty percent, I mean, just imagine, you know, every one of your stocks can be down fifty percent, and somebody come up to you and saying, "Oh yeah, that's normal." <laughs> yeah. So if if you're capable, you know, of of putting up with that, by all means, I would probably at least try to have twenty five stocks. So that's, that's. I actually, I'm sorry, take that back. I have a, actually probably thirty to thirty five separate stocks. Okay. Oh, that's good. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not too much in one basket. I did a lot. Like I bought, I, I did invest into Carnival, Norwegia, and a bunch of the airlines that are all down. You know, they were $50 in January. Now they're in the teens. Yeah. Well, I would look at their sales before this happened. I would look at their average margins for each one of those businesses. Uh, so you're going to basically, what you're going to do is your own earnings estimate. Uh, you're going to get an idea of what you think they might be able to do in a normal year just by looking at their, their history. And there's no guarantee there, but history is a good teacher. Uh, you can, once you get the estimate, just multiply it by 20. That's 20 times those earnings. 
And if, if the stock is selling significantly below that, you might be onto something. And I can tell the ones that you named, uh, probably are. Now, here's, here's the thing though with, uh, some of the co- companies that you talked about with energy, uh, boy, that, that they are, it's incredibly volatile because it relies on the price of the commodity. And right. that, that, that's, that's tough. So my observation there would be, that's a hard one. I probably wouldn't have more than 10 to 15% of my money dedicated to stocks in that particular industry. The, okay. uh, the airlines and, uh, also like Carnival, probably again, I would, I would stop at 10 to 15% into those companies because they're actually their biggest, one of their biggest costs is fuel, particularly the airlines. That is their biggest cost, right. fuel. And so it's a highly unpredictable element that you're throwing in there. And you should probably Google what Warren Buffett had to say about investing in airline stocks. Yeah, very interesting. Might change your perspective a little bit. But uh, uh, it's kind of funny because I think the guy that he managed, I forget what his name is, uh, that manages a bunch of Berkshire's money now, uh, had been buying some airline stocks. And uh, uh, Warren Buffett's track record with that's been really bad. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> and and he laughs about it. He talks about it. You know, it's in uh, uh, it's a tough business. What he likes and what I like is if you look at a company, look at their their profit margins over time. Look for profit margins that are at least ten percent net after tax. That's a minimum. Okay. So if you get an average of ten percent or better, now I'm interested. Now I'm really interested because it's the profit growth that drives the share price in the long run. And the more volatile those profits are, say, you know, airline prices fluctuate or their costs fluctuate like crazy because the cost of fuel keeps going up and down. And uh, that makes their bottom line just as volatile. So their profits are going to fluctuate like that. I kind of try to stay away from that. I'm going to try to find those companies whose Profit margins are pretty large and are relatively consistent. None of them are going to be perfect, by the way. That never happens. But, uh, you know, like the ones I, I, I don't know, a couple of years ago, Procter & Gamble was getting beat up pretty good. So I looked at it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It was selling for a lot less than it should. It reached that point a few months ago. So I just let it go. It got to the point that I, uh, it wasn't undervalued anymore. That doesn't mean that I don't like the company. It's just that I didn't want to hang on to the stock anymore. And uh, and it worked out really well. So um, I'll, I'll actually start to show some of those whenever this goes away and I can do seminars again. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person and talking to you privately about um, maybe having you be a more wiser manager of my fund. So. <laughs> oh, I'll try. <laughs> thanks for listening, and uh, have a good weekend. And thanks to the rest of you as well. You're listening to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon and 1420. Have a good weekend, good luck, and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700 or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.